Um, we're currently doing a series called The Flourishing Life, and uh, we've been doing that for all of June. And now it's school holidays, and because it's school holidays, we just take a couple of weeks to do a couple of different things, and we're going to continue A Flourishing Life in the middle of July, just for a few more weeks for the rest of that month. So we're going to continue that series, we're going to get back to it. But uh, what we like to do in the school holidays is a, is a little tradition that we're starting. And uh, we had our first one last holidays, and this is our, you're, you're sitting in the second one today. Uh, the tradition is becoming known as The Walk. It's a Sunday where what we do is we share three stories from in our gathering, three, three stories from our community of real faith in real life. What is, what is it for people who are following the way of Jesus right now in their everyday life? What are they discovering? What are they noticing? What are they journeying through? Uh, I love how in the book of Acts, as Jesus is ascending, he says to the followers, he says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. You're not going to be doing this alone. You're not going to be doing this without what I promised. And then he says, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. That's one of the identities that Christ puts on his followers. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. What does a witness do? Well, a witness has seen something and they tell you about it, right? A witness at a case who has not seen anything is not very helpful. A witness has to have seen something. A witness has to have been there. A witness has to have um, noticed this thing for real. And so today, what we're going to hear is three stories that witness to us. They will speak of real life. I was here and God has done this. I was in this and God has shown me that. I have been going through this and God has done this, this and this. This is, a moment of, this is a moment of witness, and we all get to partake of it. Uh, I was, uh, had the pleasure of being at St. Paul's last Sunday, uh, Sunday night, and uh, getting to speak there. And Sam Bloor, who some of you will know, Sam Bloor framed up the evening, and he just said, you know, one of the big things of Pentecostal churches, or churches that move in the Spirit, is that they have testimony and witness as one of the hallmarks of life with God. We talk about what God's doing. It's one of the hallmarks. And he quoted uh, James K.A. Smith, who's actually quoting a Pentecostal theologian from earlier. And he said, testimony is the poetry of the church. Don't you love that? Oh, yeah. Now, that'll preach. That'll preach. And today we're going to hear three people doing just that. So I want you to prepare your hearts for not one sort of big talk, but three smaller talks. Prepare your heart for hearing three different pieces today. And so I'm going to introduce the first one to you. Our first talk is called Holy Wednesdays. And we're going to be hearing from Lynn Allen. Lynn is a member of our board. Oh, don't clap just yet. Sorry, I said that up, don't I? <laughs> Lynn is a member of our Central Vineyard board. Uh, she's a beloved member of this community, has been for a long time now. And it's a great joy to welcome her to come and share with you about Holy Wednesdays. Let's welcome her. Come on up, Lynn. <laughs> sort of lost my voice. I don't usually sound like this, but here goes. Wednesday, 
For some people, it's the worst day of the week, right in the middle. You're over the weekend, but you're not quite looking forward to the next one. But for me, it's a great day. I work on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursday and Friday, but I don't work on Wednesdays. I'm an early childhood teacher and the preschool that I work at doesn't open on Wednesdays. So a while ago, I sensed that God was asking me to give him my Wednesdays. Initially, I thought there'd be a lot of doing. I like doing. I like being busy. It means you don't have time to think about whatever's bugging you, like work or the world or just life. But God had other ideas. Yes, he's given me some stuff to do, like I wash the communion glasses at community hall. Not usually by hand, unless the dishwasher is broken. But then I talk with the co-leaders about what and who might need a care package this week. And I go shopping. We think about what might bless this person. Maybe meals or treats or a candle to represent God's light and love. And as I go shopping, I pray, Lord, show me what to put in this care package. What will show this person that we care about them, that God sees them and loves them. Then I drop it off. Sometimes the person isn't home, sometimes I have a brief chat, whatever, I have a real sense of doing something in obedience to God for someone else. I've had the privilege of praying with some people and for some big stuff this year. I'm not trained in counseling or theology, I'm just available for God to use me. And by being available, he's grown me in who I am, in the knowledge of his love for me. As Brennan Manning says in the Ragamuffin Gospel, God not only loves me as I am, but also knows me as I am. Because of this, I don't need to apply spiritual cosmetics to make myself presentable to him. I can accept ownership of my poverty and powerlessness and neediness. Sometimes I even think God likes me, and that's a biggie for me, to finally realise that God doesn't only love me, but he likes me. And slowly but surely, he's softening me as his love softens the hard parts of my heart, which have been hardened by life and my natural negativity. I'm a glass half-empty thinker. I love reading Psalms, and Psalm 18, 20 to 24 says, God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. When I got my act together, he gave me a fresh start. Now I'm alert to God's ways. I don't take God for granted. Every day I review the ways he works. I try not to miss a trick. I feel put back together, and I'm watching my step. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. I think I want to reorder those verses. If I start with, God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes, then the next verses can flow on. When I chose to offer Wednesdays to God, then my life began to feel more complete. When I gave him more of the pieces, like the pieces in a puzzle, Somehow he knew where they fitted and I felt more put back together than ever before. And I guess that's because he's making me new, not remaking me, 
but definitely refining me. Like John Ortberg's book says, the book, the me, the me I want to be, he's redeeming me, not exchanging me. And obviously he has not finished yet. I know not everyone gets Wednesdays off, and our weekends are busy and precious, and life is lived at a frenetic pace for so many. But I don't think it's the amount of time, necessarily, more than the decision to be available for God, to offer ourselves as we are, for whatever it is he wants us to do. It could be making the coffee here before church, and you don't have to be a barista, just available. Or maybe helping with the kids' program occasionally. Really, it's asking God, how can I serve? And then looking and listening for opportunities, being available. I also spend time with God alone, just him and me on Wednesdays. Outside is really where I marvel at God's world that he's made. Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. It's um, from a, po a poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She's a Victorian English poet. It's so easy to miss the beauty of this world, especially on winter days. And the most, it's the most difficult time, except when we have one of those rare, cold, sunny days, like the picture I took a couple of Wednesdays ago. Is my picture. Yeah, it's my picture. <laughs> it's only when I stop, really stop, that I see. It does take time to really look at creation. The sun was just sparkling on the water. It was more beautiful and more sparkly than a million fairy lights. When I look at a panga, as its fronds uncool, or a snail with its spiral shell, and it has eyes on the end of its long horns. And did you know that a snail doesn't have a nose? It has a breathing hole underneath, which, if you carefully turn it upside down, you can see it open and close. Forgive me, I'm an early childhood teacher, and that's <laughs> what you do. That's when I'm always amazed at the creativity of our Heavenly Father, who, as well as making the world and keeping it going, made me and loves me and actually cares about me and has stuff that he wants me to do. It's this time alone with God that has become really important to me. That I can do it, sitting quietly, praying and reflecting, but not doing, amazes me. It means I have to give my stuff to God and it, he takes it and releases me, removes the burdens. I have to keep coming back to God. Nothing makes any sense unless I allow him to sustain me, to keep me going. This is a verse that plays in my head often, like this morning before I came here. I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. But not just on Wednesdays, every day, I need to know God is holding my hand, reminding me that he is helping me and I don't need to fear. He's faithful, and he always will be. I've given God my time, and he's given back to me much more than I could ever have imagined. There's a peace, joy, 
and a closeness to God that I've never known before. I guess this would be my prayer for each of us, to find the time, or as my mother would say, make the time, to sit with God, maybe in nature or a place that is peaceful and special to you, and then without any agenda except to meet with him. Not with a list, please God, I need this and that, but just to be in his presence and let him speak to you. I've found on Wednesdays that the earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush can be a fire with God. May you find the time and a way to see the same. So talk one. Thank you, Lynn. Can we just give her another round of applause as she is back to her seat? Awesome. Talk two. Change heart slightly. I wonder what this one might have in it. This one is entitled A New View of Kindness. And we're going to be hearing from Lucy Collingwood. Some of you might know Lucy. She's part of our worship community. She's part of the Venn community. Some of you might recognize her as she comes up. So let's welcome Lucy. And she is going to be sharing with us. Kia ora e Child, said the lion, I am telling you your story, not hers. No one is told any story but their own. Who are you? asked Chester. Myself, said the voice, very deep and low so that the earth shook, and again, myself, loud and clear. And then the third time, myself, whispered so softly you could hardly hear it, and it seemed to come from all around you as the leaves rustled with it. Child, said the lion, I am telling you your story, not hers. No one has told any story but their own. This is a quote from The Horse and His Boy by C.S. Lewis as Lan appears to Shasta as he is walking and walks and talks with him. The whole section is profound and worth a read if you get the chance. Uh, the spirit nudges this quote into my consciousness often. I want to know things, uh, I want to understand things, connect things and people, and I want to know things that are probably not mine to know. For, um, but we're not promised to know all things and we're not promised to understand all things. I'm learning to see that um, God tells us our story only, and only the parts of it that we need to know for that moment. So I want to share with you something of what God has been sharing with me of my story the last couple of months, um, in the hope that it might encourage you to look for and hear what God is telling you of your story. Uh, over the last couple of months, I've noticed a shift in how I relate to the Spirit, uh, but we have to go back a bit further to make sense of it. I grew up in a vineyard church in Ōtutahi, Christchurch. Uh, central to the life of the church was a hunger for the spirit in worship, prayer, and words of encouragement. These are good and beautiful things, and each Sunday I would long to encounter God in this way. Uh, there were times where I would feel the most comfortable in myself um, when I was singing in worship. Yet there were many times where I felt nothing through it, and it seemed that God was moving in other people. God's love and care therefore seemed true, but it seemed unreliable. For if I was not experiencing these things, uh, God seemed to be withholding himself from me. 
God was encountered, I thought, only through the receiving or giving of words or in what I felt during worship or prayer. Then there came a season where I found myself uh, amongst people that expressed their faith in more liturgical ways. I was introduced to set prayers. I was placed within the wider story of history. And I learned the gift of knowing that we are standing on the shoulders of all those that have gone before us in the faith. Uh, This was during a time where I honestly felt that God had removed his hand entirely from me. God seemed absent. And in this absence, My longing for him grew and this longing was so painful as I could not understand it and it was not being met. There are months where I could not even sing to God. The place that used to be a place of belonging had become a place of pain. And it was during this time that it was the prayers of others, be that the Psalms or saints, were a gift for they gave me words to pray when I had none myself. And that brings us to this year. A few weeks ago, we did a series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, During this time, there has been a stirring in my spirit, a yearning to pray and to be prayed for, uh, to sit in the spaces of worship and silence, to give space for the spirit to move in power, uh, the kindness, encouragement and edification that he brings. But what God has been showing me is how that longing now feels different. It is no longer a desperate longing where I need to encounter the manifest spirit in order for my faith to be okay, for me to be okay. Yes, I still long to hear from God and to work with him and his spirit because I know what a gift that can be to myself and to others. But it's now held within a deeper knowing that my faith is not reliant on it. If I do experience the spirit in a tangible way, it's a true gift and I will treasure it and I will thank God for it. But I now know that this is not the only way God reveals himself. First and foremost, he has revealed himself to us through creation, through the scriptures, and throughout history. Uh, As Romans 1 verse 19 to 21 says, They know the truth about God, for he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. This has been a moment of God telling me some of my story, reminding me to look to him. I wanna share three things that I've been reflecting on from this. Uh, Number one, it has drawn me to humility. Number two, it has taught me that it is the Lord who speaks first and it is us who respond. And number three, I am learning to be attentive and trust. Let's explore each of these briefly. So number one, humility. St. John of the Cross wrote about a concept called the dark night of the soul, where at certain points in time, God seems seems to hide himself from us to do a greater work within us. I found some of these concepts quite helpful in articulating uh, and understanding something of this time. The giving of hope that the time of darkness or desert is not in vain, uh, and it has not been, for it has taught me humility. When I use the word humility, I mean seeing ourselves as we truly are in relation to who God truly is uh, and knowing that we ultimately do not have control. We learn to see clearer the reality of God's greatness and sovereignty in our smallness. As St. John of the Cross puts it, the soul begins to learn to talk with God with greater respect and deference. In Exodus 3, as Moses approaches God in the burning bush, God tells Moses to stop to take off his sandals, for he is on holy ground. And it is once he obeys that God speaks directly to him. 
It is in humility that we are able to hear God and converse with him. And I've begun to wonder if that time of perceived darkness has been a way of God asking me to take my shoes off, of telling me that I am on holy ground. St. John of the Cross um, says this, Live in faith and hope, though it be in darkness, for in this darkness God protects the soul. Cast your care upon God, for you are his and he will not forget you. Do not think that he is leaving you alone, for that would be to wrong him. When we see more clearly who we are in relationship to God, we pray differently. We realize we cannot make God be anything other than who he is. Nor can we just pray hard enough to make it work. Henri Nouwen says, prayer is often considered a weakness, a support system which is used when we can no longer help ourselves. But this is only true when the God of our prayers is created in our own image and adapted to our own needs and concerns. When, however, prayer makes us reach out to God, not on our own, but on his terms, then prayer pulls us away from self-preoccupations, encourages us to leave familiar ground, and challenges us to enter into a new world which cannot be contained within the narrow boundaries of our mind or heart. When what was once life-giving for us in our relationship with God or in prayer no longer is, we have three options. To stubbornly continue as we have always done, uh, to drop it entirely, or to turn towards God and ask him to show us something new. Can you allow the discomfort to draw you into curiosity instead of despair? What might God be inviting you into? For example, if you're used to sitting and praying in a chair in the morning and you start to feel uh, unsettled, maybe try a morning walk and pray. If you pray through a list and you intercede, but you're feeling empty, maybe try sitting in silence or praying through the Psalms. Secondly, I have been learning that it is the Lord that initiates, always. In Psalm 27, the psalmist says, My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. My heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. He created, therefore we live. He breathed life into us, therefore we breathe. He speaks, we respond. He leads us through each season, whether we are aware of it or not. Therefore, we can walk forward. Our responsibility in this relationship is to listen and to respond thoughtfully and faithfully. In the first season I talked about, that was to give myself in worship, to pray and courage. In the seasons of God's quietness, the faithful response was to talk to others, to pray simple prayers as I could, and to turn each day anew to God. And for the psalmist in this um, verse, it is to wait with bravery and courage, trusting in the goodness of God. And this leads us to a th the third point. What is a faithful response? Uh, it is to be attentive and it is to trust. If God has me in a winter season, why am I constantly looking for the fruit? Look and listen to what is happening around you and what is happening in your heart. And then lean in. Ask God, what season do you have me in? What do I need to know in this season? Or simply, how do I live today, just today, in a way that is faithfully responding to you? Whether it is a joyous season or a hard one, God is with you in it, will lead you through it, and he is good. So to wrap up, what the Lord has been revealing to me in his kindness 
is that through a season where I thought he had left me, he was guiding me in certain invisible ways that have strengthened my faith and widened my view. I'm learning to join with the psalmist to wait patiently for the Lord and trust in his goodness. Child, said the lion, I am telling you your story, not hers. No one is told any story but their own. We all have a story and God is telling us our story in his timing. This week, may God draw you through his kindness into humility, reveal himself to you and give you the courage to trust him. Wow, what a gift these are, eh? These are a gift hearing people sharing their stories and what they're witnessing. Last one, number three, you ready? Uh, number three, uh, they've actually broken the rules and uh, they're going to be sharing together. Because uh, as, as they sat with this story, uh, Josh and Emma found that it wasn't one, one of theirs, it was both of theirs. And so they're going to be tag teaming together. So Josh and Emma, why don't you come and they're going to be sharing a talk called Learning to Walk. Let's welcome them. Josh and Emma. Exactly a year ago today, Emma and I got the kind of news that um, no parents ever really want to get. Um, it was a Friday, and um, like we do every Friday, we um, sit outside the dairy um, after picking up the kids from school, and uh, the kids eat ice cream, And um, but this wasn't like any other Friday for us. We... Uh, we didn't get our own treats this time because we had the lumps in our throat of knowing we had to break some news to Luke um, that he has been diagnosed with a rare bone disease uh, called uh, calf, leg calf perthes disease, or perthes for short. Um, <clears throat> we also had to cancel his birthday the next day um, because it was at the local climbing wall um, which, if you know Luke, he never walks, he always runs. Um, he's always climbing. And, um, yeah, he actually even just said the other day to me, Dad, um, when I'm climbing, I'm just so happy, he just says. Hey, this, that's, that's Luke. And um, so, um, yeah, in true Luke fashion, he just sat with the news as we told him and um, then looked up and just said, Okay. Um, Luke had started limping a few weeks earlier and he had briefly complained of a sore leg but we hadn't thought that much of it and now we were faced with the reality that something was definitely not right. After getting diagnosed we were told not to let Luke run and he should only walk when necessary. We had six weeks to wait um, before his Starship appointment um, in which Luke's condition went downhill really fast. The pain in his hip um, was so bad that he could barely walk and Emma would often have to drive to school um, after the teachers had called us to say that um, he's in too much pain. She'd then carry him from the class to the car, drive home, carry him from the car into home and then eventually we had to pull him out of school altogether. <clears throat> Seeing my strong son so weak was one of the hardest things I've had to go through um, as a dad. But Emma and I, we knew we had to be strong. 
So what is perthes? Perthes is when, for an unknown reason, the vein that connects your femur to the femoral head is disrupted. The femoral head, which is the, it, is the top of your thigh bone, becomes flattened. Sorry, becomes starved of oxygen and blood and begins to die. The dying bone then starts to become crushed and flattened. Most of the time it's found in boys that are very active and small for their age and is not genetic. Kids with perthes generally always ended up with a hip replacement at some stage in their life. The good news is that the disease runs its course and the bone does eventually regenerate on its own when the blood flow returns. However, the flatter your femoral head becomes during this time, the more damage is done, so the impact is huge. No running, climbing, jumping or sports. Essentially, this disease robs you of your childhood. I happened to have a friend that I grew up with um, in the church that I went to um, that had Perthes. Uh, I didn't know it was Perthes at the time. I just knew that he was the kid that, on crutches that couldn't join in with the youth group games. He was diagnosed at the same age as Luke, which is late for to be diagnosed, and it comes with complications. Um, he had his last surgery at 16 and had a very distinctive limp for eight years. Um, when I finally made the connection that Luke was going to be that kid, uh, it was heartbreaking. Um, the more we found out about Perthes, the more we realised that without God's intervention, this could be a very long, painful journey. Uh, so obviously, waiting six weeks for our appointment, uh, the temptation to Google Perthes became too strong, um, and I was confronted with images of kids on full bed rest with weights on their legs and wheelchairs and crutches and um, non-weight bearing. There was kids with casts with a metal bar holding their legs open in a V-shape. Um, it was a lot, <laughs> and there was also, um, you know, so many different suggestions of types of surgery and paths to take, so Googling Perthes obviously uh, was hard, but um, it also allowed us to find out about a camp in Australia that um, takes kids in, and um, we put in an expression of interest in because it was closed for the year. Um, but God had a little surprise for us because the very next day I got an email saying that they were going to reopen the submissions for 24 hours because some people had filled out the wrong forms. Um, so we jumped at the chance and we um, booked tickets and organised accommodation. Um, so my new norm was <laughs> cutting pills and warming up heat packs for Luke so that he could um, sort of help the pain. Um, and probably the best way to describe our state at this time was that we were in mourning. We were, we were mourning for our son's stolen health. We were mourning for like the childhood that we thought our kids were going to have. Sorry. Um, and for the planned family adventures. Um, yeah, so when we got the diagnosis, it just really ruined all of that. Luke was, um, Luke had just come third in his school triathlon, and um, sorry, <laughs> um, yeah, he he was taking climbing lessons. He was going for weekend hunts with Luke, with um, with Josh, and um, yeah, so it was it's just really dis um, disappointing. Um, and so when we finally got to Starship. Um, they confirmed what we basically already knew at that point, but they also said 
you know, most kids are diagnosed before the age of six. So Luke was on the older end of the spectrum and that it was more likely that he would need surgical intervention. Um, and it was just something that we weren't that sure about at that point. Um, but basically he said, Luke's gonna need a pelvic osteotomy, which, um, so it's not gonna fix his problem. I think there's a picture um, of the pelvic osteotomy. So you can see Luke's squashed um, pelvic head on the, the arrow on this side. And you can see they cut Luke's pelvis in half and put those metal pieces in to hold it in place. So basically the idea was to create a little space for his dead bone to um, regenerate in a nice circular shape rather than regenerating in a squashed shape. Um, but basically they said, you know, this isn't to fix the problem, this is to help it and that eventually, um, most likely, he will need a full hip replacement. Um, yeah, and Josh, Josh had had to carry Luke into the Starship appointment because he literally couldn't walk at this point. Um, so we got crutches for him and Luke was now full-time on crutches and just having um, the weight taken off his hip, he was actually able to return to school, which was really great. Um, so Luke and I went to this Perthys camp and we met 23 other kids um, from all across Australia and then two were from New Zealand. Um, and most of these kids um, lived rurally and they'd never met another kid with Perthys before. Um, also because of COVID, they hadn't run the camp for a couple of years. Um, and I think just for the other mums, like when we showed up and we saw all these other kids with the exact same little limp run and <laughs> it was just like a moment of solidarity, like we understood um, and uh, the, I think also for Luke, because he wasn't full-time on crutches, he wasn't allowed to do PE. He, wasn't, he had to sit in the library at lunchtime um, and he was just really sick of being the odd kid out. So when he got there to the camp, there was other kids on crutches, there was other kids with limps, there was kids in wheelchairs. Um, and I think it just took away a lot of the stigma of having Perthys for him. Um, and I just remember we went to the pool one day and all the kids were standing there and they're showing off their big long osteotomy scars and um, I think it just like eased Luke's mind for the upcoming surgery because he was like suddenly part of the crew. Um, yeah, <laughs> so he came home feeling more positive. Um, but I think also probably the eye-opening thing for me was seeing like 16-year-olds still with very heavy limps kids that were having medication to be able to sleep at night, um, kids that had been in wheelchairs for a couple of years. Um, there was one kid, he was amazing, he was so determined to play rugby, he would lie at night with his leg up, like elevating it because he was in so much pain, but he just was so desperate to still play, so it was inspiring. During this time, I really started to push into God. My time with him in the morning became so much more intense as I desperately cried out to him for healing for Luke. Right at the start, I thought of two stories in scripture where people were desperate and didn't give up. Number one, the story of the persistent widow where she wouldn't stop pestering the unjust judge until she got justice. She eventually gets justice because the judge is afraid she's going to attack him. <laughs> Number two, when Jacob fought with God all night and would not give up until he blessed him. Also, the hip is a part of the story. 
I was ignoring the fact that he had a damaged hip and he was going to limp for the rest of his life. And we were asking for the opposite. <laughs> God really started to remind me and teach me what it meant to live by faith. Through this experience, faith became a word I wanted to understand better. Faith can be hard to fully grasp, like trying to hold on to a slippery fish. Do I have enough faith? Am I living by faith? Am I keeping the faith? You warrior fans will know that uh, that can be hard. I began to see faith as more multifaceted. I see faith as being made up of three main parts. Firstly, believing. I 100% believed that God could heal Luke, but faith is so much more than just believing in something. James 2 verse 19, even the demons believe in God. Secondly, trust. I learned to trust God. It was a deeper trust than before. Um, it meant that I would trust God even if he didn't heal Luke and that I'd still love and trust, trust him and through it. And then thirdly, and importantly, action. James 2 verse 17, faith without action is dead. In other words, if you're not acting on faith, it's not faith at all. This will look different in all situations, but for me, action meant things like fasting in various ways, not just praying myself, but inviting as many friends and family over to our home to pray for Luke. The night before his surgery, we had a bunch of us praying for him, and Vivek anointed him with oil, a small but beautiful way of acting on faith. In my heart, I was going to be Jacob and not give up fighting for Luke, and I was going to be that pestering widow <laughs> and not give up until we see God come into the story. Um, so during this time we each had our own scripture and mine was Ezekiel 37 verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. Obviously I was taking that quite literally. <laughs> um, being able to lean on a God who was bigger than us and always listening um, allowed us to really lean on him during that moment um, and, and having a community around us that was praying for us, it was, it was a real gift. Um, however, I, I noticed that Josh was sort of doing these amazing like big prayers, I want a full healing for God, for, for Luke and um, you know, he was being taking inspiration from the, the widow and he was fasting and like, all these big things and I thought, felt like by comparison I was sort of giving God these like little manageable prayers like I'd be like God can you help some kids come to the library and play with Luke today can you help Luke have a good night's sleep can you bring a good you know some good doctors into our lives these like and I think I justified it because I just didn't want to be let down by God um, and I also I think also I really didn't want Luke's first experience of God to be, why didn't he heal me? Um, I think probably my main takeaway from this whole experience has been, even when I didn't know how to pray or, or have the words, we still kept inviting God into the situation and God just kept showing up in lots of little ways um, and it was exactly what we needed in that time so I feel like my small weak prayers um, they were just met with so much grace and love 
And even though I didn't know what to ask for, God just provided it. Um, so that was really cool. Um, and probably um, one of the coolest moments we had um, was just before Luke went for his surgery, we went to visit my parents down in Fidianga. And um, if we're ever away for a Sunday, um, we go to Tairoa and go to our friends, Strawn and Katie's church. It's a little Anglican church, really little. Um, if you guys have ever been to an Anglican church, you'll know it's like a liturgy, it's like prepared well in advance, it's, there's hymns, there's quite a few grey-haired people. Um, yeah, it's, it's different. Um, <laughs> sorry guys, sorry guys. Um, anyway, so we're sitting there and there's two readings for the day. And they're basing the whole sermon around these two readings. And the first one is that uh, the, the, the widow, the, the pestering widow. <laughs> um, and the second one is Jacob wrestling with God for the blessing, which was like pretty amazing. Um, and I was sitting across the little aisle from the kids and Josh, and there was a, a lovely little old man next to me. And he introduced himself and he asked about Luke because obviously he was on crutches. And I said, oh, you know, he's got this thing and, um, and he's having surgery next week. Um, and then at the end of the, the liturgy and the sermon and everything, this guy next to me was like, excuse me, I think we should pray for this little boy. He's got surgery. And um, yeah, so they got Luke up. And there was like literally like 30 people, like it's a small church. And they all just prayed over him in the aisle there. Um, they're like vicar lady or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice. And um, I looked over, Strawn's mouth was literally on the floor. He was like, we never stray from the program. <laughs> He's like, this never happens. He's like, I'm so proud of my church right now. But also, he's like, this is 100% a God moment. Um, so that was really special for us, like, yeah, going into the surgery, having that happen. A year on, and we should only be at the start of our Perthes journey with Luke. However, because how good God is, we feel like we're nearing the end of it. After Luke's osteotomy in October, he spent a week recovering in hospital and they sent him home with a bunch of more painkillers, which miraculously he never asked for. Um, since October, uh, since November, Luke has had no pain in his hip whatsoever and if you meet him without being told, you would never know that he even had Perthes. This was not the story we were expecting. He has no limp, he runs, he jumps, he climbs, despite me constantly trying to stop him. <laughs> We have our little Luke back again. We have, um, we have his next and hopefully last x-ray appointment coming up um, and we're praying that they'll take him off all restrictions. Not that he's really been following that. <laughs> um, just before Luke was diagnosed, before this was all about to happen, um, in another little God story which we don't have time for today, but God gave Luke and I a Bible verse to memorize. Little did we know how much this verse would help us through some really tough times. I would like to finish by reading it to you. It's 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, let all that you do be done in love.
Holy Sunday, to use the Holy Wednesday idea from Lynn. Something other has been happening together today, hasn't it, as we've heard these stories and witnessed this together. As we land, as we finish, we're out of time, but as we finish today, what I want to invite you to do is just uh, close your eyes for a moment, and I just want to run you just very briefly through each of those talks, and just so you can recall. So firstly, Lynn shared about setting apart her Wednesday, and I think one of the, the main phrases that I picked up on from her talk was, God, God just wants us to be available. So how can you be available this week? How can you be available as you think through your schedule? How can you be available as you think through the time that is ahead of you? How will you carry availability to God forward from here? Lucy so wonderfully shared about this new season she finds herself in of of seeing God's kindness to her in a new way. An old way stopped working and a new way had to be found. Maybe that's part of your story at the moment. Maybe something that used to be familiar and at home for you, it feels like it's an empty well. Maybe you have to go find a new one. I love to challenge, you know. Maybe sitting and praying in a certain way has, has dried up, so you might need to go for a walk. <laughs> might have to start reading the Psalms or embrace silence and solitude. How might God walk with you this way this week in a new way? And then lastly, what a, what a story to hear from the Breitvelts about a family taking a journey through such a, a crucial moment together, the moment of um, a diagnosis of health that was not good. And so many of us in this room will have stories like that that we're currently walking through or have walked through. And I just, I love the sentiment from that, from that talk of, how everyone had to learn to walk. Josh and Emma had to learn to walk in that story too. And they did it by doubling down on time with God, looking to be vulnerable with Him, leaning into Him, asking for the community around them to join with them. And so if you're going through something hard and the end isn't in sight yet, can you take some of that wisdom on board today? How can you lean into God more? How can you bring the community of saints around you into it more? How can you walk more faithfully in it? So Lord, we thank you for the journeys of these four people, these three stories. Thank you for the diversity of them. Thank you for the the range of them. God, we ask your blessing on them as they've given to us today. Would you now recharge them as they go into this Sabbath afternoon? Would you fill them with with energy and peace after pouring out themselves so beautifully for us today as such a wonderful offering? God, fill them for the preparation they've done, for the time they set aside, for the nerves they drove to church with today. Fill them with your presence of peace, of joy and of goodness. And Lord, as we go, we go into the rest of our Sabbath to rest with you, to enjoy you and to hopefully enjoy some sunshine this afternoon. 
But we go as people on the walk. That is the, the phrase of the morning. This is about a walk. We are on your way and we're walking on it. So Lord, write a story in each of us. Write our stories in us that you see in us. Show us our stories that we may celebrate our stories together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. Enjoy your Sabbath. Enjoy your rest. And we'll see you again here next Sunday.